Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. Good morning and welcome. I'm Linda Crater and I'm joined by co-host Les Davis today. We are going to talk to you today about an incredible organization called Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. And I first came upon uh, the coalition, I think it's seven years ago now, and it is an amazing organization that helps our heroes, and we will tell you more about what they do, and we will share with you from their own words what their passion is, their backstory, and why it's so important that you know about this amazing organization. Les, first of all, good morning to you. Good morning, Linda. It's, it's always great to be on, especially when we have such a fabulous organization like this one. I agree with you entirely. And we're going to start today by talking to the VP of Field Operations, Donnie Doffenbaugh. And Donnie and I met, was it seven years ago, Donnie? You know, it has been a number of years. I, I was trying to look and see when your first Road Recovery Conference was, but right. um, my email only goes back so far. So it's definitely I, been one. <laughs> that's why I'm sort of in the dark guessing on that time frame, too. But let's start with the backstory of the coalition, and then I know Les would like to ask you about your personal story. So sure. start with the coalition, and then we'll we'll dig down deeper into your story. Yes, ma'am. Well, the neat thing about the way that the coalition was started uh, was that in the peak season, of the peak time of the wars in Iraq and the kickoff of Afghanistan, the number of combat wounded that were coming back that were physically scarred, burned, and had suffered amputations were at an all-time high. I mean, they're actually the, the higher than uh, some of the other conflicts we've been involved in just due to, you know, the uh, advancements in medical technology. And people were surviving wounds now on the battlefield because of how quickly they could be triaged and, and uh, medevaced out of the country. They were being, uh, they were surviving at a rate that we've not seen before. So that put a tremendous strain on some of the major military medical centers like Walter Reed, like Bethesda, and then, of course, our uh, incubator, if you will, the uh, Brooks Army Medical Center in San Antonio, mm -hmm. which is now the San Antonio Military Medical Center. And a large group of combat wounded and, and um, amputation uh, veterans or, or military at that time were being treated at BAMSI. And other than the services that the hospital provided, I mean, there was some great uh, support very early on from groups like the Legion and the USO. But some of the families were finding themselves very quickly getting into uh, pretty tough financial situations, mm -hmm. some that would even be deemed as an emergency. And a, uh, a well-to-do person, a businessman, was visiting wounded troops, which was, you know, it's still a popular thing to do. And he met with a handful of, you know, everyone from uh, the very first double amputee to have come out of the Iraq war to um, someone who had been burned over a majority of his body to other famous people like J.R. Martinez, who was on Dancing with the Stars and All My Children sometime back. Mm -hmm. And even a, a wounded female veteran, which you don't hear about very many of those, uh, but there are a lot. And so he had this wide range of perspective. And they sat down and, and brainstormed about what would be the best fit for them and for their families that uh, as an organization could start that would be able to administer the help that they needed. And literally, that's how the coalition was started. It was, it was a brainstorming of wounded veterans to address the needs of incoming wounded military families, because a lot of them were, were going to be in Bamsi for a year, two years. Some would have 10 or 20 or 30 surgeries, but they also still had their, their homestead, whether that was, you know, near a military base where they lived or if they were reserve or National Guard and they had their home, you know, wherever they're, they're from. Uh, they were basically trying to maintain dual households. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not true for everyone, but it certainly caused a lot of financial strain very early on. And that is that's actually how the coalition came to be. It's a great story in that 
it looked at the needs from the eyes of the users, those who would be beneficiaries of such help. So often we see groups that have a great heart and they're really wanting to help. But if you don't address the needs from the eyes of those who will use it, you sometimes miss the nuances. And that's not what the coalition did. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they recognized the need early on. And we so that was 2004, uh, roughly August of 2004. We've got veterans that are still affiliated with our mission, either through being a spokesperson, a volunteer, or just building awareness for us because the coalition left such an impact on their life so early on that it really kind of redirected them and gave them a more positive path to follow than you know some of the some of the negative ones that were uh, occurring earlier on with prescription may, uh, medicine abuse and, mm. you know, some of the problems that families were facing around the, the hospital. So, yeah, it's it, it's a beautiful thing. And um, it, it's just to be a part of it. You know, I, I was never treated in BAMSI, but I've been to BAMSI a number of times. And to see the amount of respect mm. that BAMSI as a whole and their staff and their case managers and then the, the revolutionary treatment facility called the Center for the Intrepid, to right. see the respect and admiration that they still in 2017 have for the coalition is really a testament of what they thought of our mission early on and what they continue to think of our mission because we've stayed true to it. Well, and that's incredibly important. And then Les, you had a question for Donnie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Donnie, you talked about, you know, these other people getting involved early on. And, and so how did, um, how did you get involved? You know, what, what was, can you tell us about your, your background, you know, what's your story, and, and then how did you get involved with the coalition? Sure. So um, I, I was in the Marines, and uh, my job in the Marines was at an 0311, which is the job that identifies me as an infantry rifleman. And uh, I'd been in the Marine Corps since 1999, and I um, went, uh, I, I did reserve uh, time. So I was able to do some of my time as a Marine as active duty and some as reserve. And so I was able to uh, go through a certification process to be a commercial construction architect. And I loved it. And then on September 11th, uh, we were we were working. And, you know, obviously, when the towers were hit and the Pentagon was hit and the, uh, the plane went down in the field, uh, I knew with my company being an infantry line company that things were going to change. And we actually did do a, a few weeks of preparation just kind of at a unit level. And, you know, that was September of 2001. And we didn't get word that our unit was actually officially being sent over to Iraq until about February of 2004. So we um, we went to Camp Pendleton and we did what's called our workup, which is basically where we were uh, learned on what our mission would be and how we were going to implement it. And we made sure that we were fully prepared to engage in our mission once we got what we call boots on the ground or, or in country. Or you'll hear some people say, you know, once we got in the sandbox. And um, so I loved it. I, I, I love being in the Marines. Uh, I volunteered quite a bit, um, you know, as far as being able to perform funeral details. And, of course, the Marine Corps Reserve is known for uh, Toys for Tots. So we did a lot of things. I was recognized for my work. On my part, on, on my personal time uh, as a as a volunteer for the Marines, with a what's called a volunteer service medal, and you'll see those, just not you know you don't see them everywhere. So it was pretty neat to to earn that. And then uh, I was listed as my unit's Marine of the Year uh, based on shooting qualification, based on knowledge, based on just my characteristics of leadership and my personality in general. So I mean, I really I enjoyed being in the Marine Corps, and I. I enjoyed being able to work at the same time. Obviously, when um, our deployment came, we were told in February. And so June, uh, we were we were officially activated and sent to Camp Pendleton for our workup. Uh, I left a wife and uh, my daughter had not yet turned one. So um, we did our workup, went to uh, Camp Pendleton, went to Baghdad. And the very first day that we were going from Baghdad to Mamadiya, uh, Iraq, which is where our FOB, which is a forward operating base, uh, we had a vehicle get hit by a roadside bomb. So that was day one. And oh. we had several weeks of 
people shooting at us, people mortaring our base. And, um, you know, we, we stopped some bad guys from making more bombs and hurting other people. And then one night I was on a night patrol and our base got mortared. And I was told uh, to set up a checkpoint and start looking for vehicles. Because whenever we'd get mortared, we send out a Marine group called the Quick Reaction Force and say, okay, well, this is where we saw the point of origin for these mortars. Is there anybody still here or can we find anything that would help us? And we were told that the people were actually mortaring our base, throwing their stuff in a car and then driving around. So we, we, we realized that that was a, a vulnerability of ours. And during this checkpoint, <clears throat> I'd searched several vehicles with no problem. And then one car stopped and everything about it was wrong. It was clean. It was a different color. The guy was yelling at us. He tried to uh, leave our checkpoint going backwards, tried to run over some Marines, which is a horrible idea. And eventually he charged our checkpoint, pulled an AK-47 out from under his seat and shot in my direction. And one of the bullets hit me in the face, broke my jaw and went through my sinuses. And now it's up inside my skull near my brain. So I went through about two years of recovery and really just kind of um, I became a bit of a recluse. And as unfair as that is to my family now, I recognize there was one person, the first double amputee that came out of the Iraq war named B.J. Jackson. He was relentless in trying to introduce me to the coalition so that they could show my family and the appreciation and thanks for my injury, but also to kind of re-inspire me and kind of motivate me. And I loved it. And I loved how other people responded. So I began volunteering, uh, still all the while injured. And I, I began helping other wounded veterans and I'd become a very strong advocate. And after a while as a volunteer, they saw the potential that I had to help the families impacted by the organization. And so I became a part of the team. And that was uh, that was 10 years ago. Donnie, does it ever amaze you that we're still still doing this i never would have thought ever that we would have been at war in iraq and afghanistan and globally against the war on terrorism for this long we're mill resource radio and we'll be back after these short messages Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. Welcome back. We're talking today to Donnie Doffenbaugh of the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. And this organization is an exceptional one that works on all the needs and the gaps that that come up when someone returns and there's a transition back in and they pay special attention to the family knowing that if you help the family you also help the service member or veteran Donnie before the break I was cut off due to timing my apologies can you talk about who what groups does the coalition serve Sure. Thanks, Linda. So the coalition was established originally to help combat wounded and disabled um, veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And obviously there's been some evolution there because now we recognize that if someone is boots on the ground physically fighting against the global war on terrorism in parts of Africa, as we've learned we are, uh, anyone 
that is post 9-11 that has been injured while serving in country uh, for the global war on terrorism is who the coalition is set up to help. Important for people to know, because I think that there are so many groups out there that we have to define who is helping whom. And that's really important. And as you have come along, have the needs changed from what the coalition originally was helping with today? Because you have been around for a while. Yeah. And so we, we have noticed a bit of a trend. Uh, obviously, a lot more of the individuals and the families that we help are the their injuries stem from uh, traumatic events. So they are diagnosed with the post-traumatic stress. Um, and then there are still some that are, are wounded physically. Uh, not everyone that's wounded physically would earn a, a Purple Heart. Uh, but for example, not all of the people that are coming to us are eligible for the Purple Heart uh, based on not, not having been shot or blown up. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of mental health-related um, disability ratings from veterans or uh, people are being discharged under uh, the, the, you know, the, the problem stemming from post-traumatic stress. So we've, we've definitely seen that change. Uh, whereas early, earlier on, you know, with almost 50,000 physically combat wounded, um, it, it was really easy. I mean, you could almost just say, hey, where did you earn your Purple Heart? And now it, uh, it takes a lot more legwork. It takes a lot more research and, and just verifying that some of the people that are coming to the organization for help physically served in areas that would make them eligible, but also that they themselves meet our criteria. Mm-hmm. Well, it has hey, to be Donnie, a fit. You, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please um, go ahead, Les. Uh, Donnie, you had, you had said earlier um, that the, the um, it eventually it became very obvious that the, uh, the hospitals just weren't ready for the amount of wounded that was coming back with their, with their injuries. Um, what I'd like to know is that you've been so involved over the last uh, few years. Do you think that has changed? Do you think they're, they're now more prepared or is, are the veterans getting, uh, in the VA hospitals, are they getting better care? Are the hospitals, uh, you know, like Bansy, Walter Reed, are they set up finally to, um, you know, to help these wounded warriors? Sure. So I think that very early on, nobody, uh, you know, in the peaks of 2003, four, and five, nobody was prepared for the influx of wounded that we were going to see. And just the same as they were not, I mean, the, the hospitals weren't prepared at that point, but they've had years now to uh, ramp up their, their, war, their uh, welfare recreation programs. They've had years to ramp up their application of technology. There's been a lot of pairing between private and public sector, uh, between the Department of Defense and some truly revolutionary companies as it relates to mental health treatment, uh, physical wounds, some of the things that they're doing to treat people with burns, uh, significant burns, amputations, obviously, um, you know, one of the more famous ones, um, you know, there, there are several quadruple amputees, meaning they lost both legs and both arms, and there have been several that have had successful hand or arm transplants. So technology has now caught up with the need. It's a little lagging, but then the, the sad part about that is that they go from the, the military hospital setting that wasn't ready for them, and then they kind of flood the VA system that also was already inundated and was already kind of backlogged and, and you know trying to play catch up from Vietnam era veterans and, and desert war veterans. Uh, so. They went from one hospital setting that wasn't really fully ready for them, though now it's it's revolutionary, mm -hmm. to the VA. And I think the VA is trying to also tap into some of that available funding to improve treatment times, improve technology, and to make sure that these guys feel comfortable, you know, seeking care in the VA because they've absolutely earned it. So, yeah, it's I've seen a strain on both sides, the active military and the VA. And the military side, I was treated in Bethesda. And at the time, Bethesda and Walter Reed were two separate entities. Now, it is like its own city. And it's incredible, the the technology that they have there, the, the protection and the feeling of people going to get treatment where it still feels like they're going onto a military base. And a lot of people, when they get out, especially if they're wounded, they miss that. And so it's a, it's a, it is a reminder that they're no longer in. 
but they're still a part of that environment. And I think that really helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, have, I, I haven't visited uh, the new Walter Reed, but I have, I have went, oh, I did receive treatment at BAMC and I have visited the Intrepid Center. It's just incredible. Um, what would you say and what would be your opinion on the, the invisible wounds, the, the treatment today, you know, the folks coming out with PTS uh, and then seeking treatment? Has that gotten better over your time that you've overseen? You know, with the circles that I'm in professionally as veteran advocates, I don't want somebody to lose everything that they hold dear to themselves, family included, their life, their home. I don't want them to lose any of that because they can't hold down a job or they can't commit to their family because of post-traumatic stress. So there is still a stigma around it, but anyone that is a professional veteran service advocate like us at the coalition and, and some, I, I work with case managers from a number of groups, we all want people that are suffering with post-traumatic stress to at least get in and talk to someone because it isn't going to improve itself. And if someone doesn't at least talk to someone, you know, in a professional setting to try and kind of work things out, uh, it is always going to be something that's lurking in the shadows of their mind that, you know, whenever the opportunity arises, it's, it's going to come out and, and cause problems for them. So, yeah, there, there's still a stigma, but professional uh, veteran service offices and officers, we want people seeking care, you know, but then again, that, that falls back into the, the VA trying to play catch up. And you'll still have people that uh, even this past week, I've had cases where people were in desperate need and were on suicide watch. And they were still being told that to get the the needed uh, inpatient treatment that, that ranges from about 45 days, that they would still have to wait two months. Right. So there's still a lot of hoping and praying that these people are able to hang in there until they can get into the treatment. That's, that's so incredible. And, and it's, uh, it is a stigma. And they should, uh, some of us, some of the vets seem that they, they see that as a weakness. And it, it shouldn't be. You know, it, we, we just got to get back to our norm. And they should see it as that. Um, you'd also mentioned earlier about the, the over-prescription of meds uh, by, the, by the VA or by the uh, active duty doctors. You, is is that still happening? I mean, with all the spotlight on on overdosing and uh, opioid use, is, is the overprescribing by VA doctors and regular doctors at the at the medical hospitals is that still happening today? So it still is, and obviously there are a lot of advancements as far as medicines concerned for different treatment options. I mean, you've heard about some of the research studies using ecstasy, using cannabis, using a number of just non traditional means uh, to address the needs of painkilling and, and um, you know, calming someone, but you've got people that might be for mental health related issues, for anxiety, for post-traumatic stress, they might be taking three or four medications and some of those medications may cause weight gain or may cause vision problems or may cause numbness or tingling. So then they might be taking three or four other medications to counteract the negative effects of the medicine that's originally intended to help with post-traumatic stress. And you know, there's only so many different ways they can make and cut and shape and color a pill. So it is it is still a problem. And personally, I advocate for um, health outside of a, a prescription bottle. I'm a huge fan of chiropractic, of acupuncture, of mm -hmm. essential oils, of anything that someone can do to find some relief that doesn't come from a prescription. Unfortunately, not everybody is behind that. And uh, research is lacking. But then you've also got to multi-billion dollar industry that is telling people you don't want to use those alternative treatments because they're not going to help you like this medication is. So we're continually fighting against that, but it absolutely is still taking place. Donnie, does the coalition help veterans and service members find those alternative therapies like equine therapy, uh, the chiropractic, the therapeutic massage, music therapy, any of those things locally, is that part of what you do is connect people to resources? It is. So th there are several main areas where the coalition focuses. One of our main ones that we've kind of championed and honed over the last several years is advocacy. We recognize not everyone that's going to apply for assistance from the coalition meets the criteria necessary or is deemed to be in a financial emergency. However, all of us that are on my team, and most of us are wounded or disabled veterans, which is a great thing. Um, 
if someone doesn't meet the criteria to get help from us, we will advocate for them using a number of available resources and we will get them help. And, you know, just using kind of a map, um, an image of a map or a radius indicator, we'll start with their zip code and we'll work outward to try and find them alternative therapies, uh, retreats for them and their families, counseling for their kids. Uh, and the, the great thing is that that strengthens our care for them and our commitment to them. But financially, it, we're not obligated financially, but we're still able to provide them the help they need with services that already exist. And that's one of our main things that we do is with the services that we provide and the help we provide, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. If somebody already has a program that is years established and well in place to help whatever that issue is, we're going to refer them to that group. And then what makes us unique is oftentimes we provide grants to organizations that provide services that are outside of our realm to still help people as advocates. Donnie, thank you. I'm sorry we have to go on another break, but we are visiting today with Coalition, Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. We'll be back after these short messages. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. Welcome back. We are talking with Donnie Doffenbaugh, the VP of Field Operations for Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. And we have just been joined by Mary Herrera, who is the field rep on the Western region for the organization. And Mary, we're glad to add you to our conversation today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are too. And I'll direct this question out, I guess, first to Donnie and then shift it over to Mary. What do you identify, Donnie? as the top three to four areas of expertise or specialization that the coalition takes care of, supports, and advocates? Sure. So we, while well, we talked about evolution, and we've, we've certainly evolved in the way that our mission is uh, fulfilled uh, in the programs that we provide. So I'm going to touch on two, and then Mary, we're, we're joined with, with a, just an amazing hero in her, and I would like her to touch on the other two. But I'm going to say first that when someone is wounded or disabled, especially if that injury lasts for a very long time, they're often joined in the home by their caregiver or by their spouse, recognizing that they're not able to resume a traditional outside of the house job because we've, no kidding, we've had cases of someone with a significant post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury combination that uh, decided to microwave a can of soup. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing good comes from that. We have had a veteran with the same combination with physical injuries that was on medication and playing video games and let the dogs out and uh, failed to notice the two-year-old had gone out in the backyard with the dogs. Nothing, nothing bad happened, thankfully, but uh, the neighbor did bring the child home and said, hey, you, your, your, your baby was in my backyard. And so people like that, that, that suffer some of those wounds and even some that just based on post-traumatic stress and the higher levels of anxiety they go through, they, they can't return to a normal job. So the coalition knew self-worth was so important in a veteran's recovery, but also for the caregiver, because we 
as wounded veterans, me personally, I wouldn't be who I am without my wife. And a lot of our, our service members feel the same way. So we started a program that is revolutionary in the fact that all, all of our support comes from individual donors. If someone donates $5, if someone donates $10, we have very minimal corporate support. So if someone donates any money at all, their name and their telephone number goes into a computer program. That computer program is accessed by one of 40 combat wounded or disabled veterans, which there are nine in the program. And then uh, the remaining numbers of those are caregivers and wives of wounded military veterans. So there's 40 people in this program. It's called the Heroes Thanking Heroes because we want them calling donors and telling them thank you for allowing the coalition to provide the type of support that we do. And they don't ask for anything, they don't solicit, but I'll tell you the, the feeling of appreciation that the supporters have when they get a personalized phone call from the family of a hero telling them thank you, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost hard to describe, it's amazing. So that's one area where we, we truly excel and the other one, like I talked about earlier, is our advocacy. If we help someone, we don't just help financially with a utility bill. We'll work with the utility company to try and get that bill reduced. If someone is two or three months behind on mortgage or rent, obviously if rent is $600 and they're three months behind, that's $1,800. But if the, the renter is able to allow us to pay $1,500, and forgive part of that, we apply that same concept to basically any of the emergency financial services we provide. And we pay directly to the company that the debt is owed. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of gift cards or gift checks to provide groceries and support for the families, if a debt is paid, if a debt is owed to a company, the debt is paid to the company. The debt is not paid to the veteran to pay to the company because Sometimes if families are in desperate situations financially, they may fully recognize the significance of paying that three-month mortgage payment, but they may have something else that they didn't tell us about that's also an emergency, and then they'd apply the funds to that. So very early on, we stopped paying the funds to the veteran. We pay directly to the company because then we can negotiate and we can kind of hardline the company to try and reduce, forgive, give a little bit of breathing room. It's 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 um, the way that we approach it is very businesslike, but we also recognize we want to do the absolute most with the money that we have available. And if we can do more for less, then that's what we're going to do 10 times out of 10. And, you know, that's called, and that's advocacy. Exactly. Smart advocacy. We are stewards of the money that are given to us by our donors. Mm -hmm. And we fully recognize when we're helping people, when we're traveling, when we're bringing people to events or paying for hotel stays or travel or any other emergencies, we recognize that we are giving them money that was entrusted to us by patriotic Americans. And we're not going to, we're not going to destroy that trust. No, that, that's huge. And, and thanks uh, for your coalition for doing that. I was wondering, I wanted to, before you go to Mary, I, was, I wanted to bring up the, the heroes thanking heroes. Um, how do you find your veterans? Uh, for to do this? So the Heroes Think and Heroes program is a lot of caregiver support social media pages. And they, right now, if I were to ask the program director, they probably have about 75 people on a waiting list to be a part of that program because the other aspect of it is when they're in the program, they get free access to Skillsoft, which is continuing education or certification that's free. Uh, they also get... Um, different benefits such as uh, dental support benefits and they're they're truly a part of a team it's originally intended to be six months we want to give each family on our waiting list six months to kind of help help them help themselves and then they will move on to other opportunities but with this um yeah we've got a waiting list of probably around 70 75 families that are waiting to be a part of it just because of word of mouth from other caregivers is it, do you find your veterans, are these transitioning veterans or are these uh, just people that contact you just, just being a post 9-11 veteran? Exactly. There are some that have applied that are Vietnam or Desert Storm veterans that are home with a disabled veteran looking for the same opportunity. And unfortunately, they, they not many exist. Uh, but a lot of the veterans that reach out to us that qualify, 
it really prepares them for other virtual office jobs. Uh, so it, it's a lot of skill building while they're in the program. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's- and customer service skill sets are, are you can use it in any position, any, in any, any career. Oh my gosh. I think there's so little customer service these days that the groups that can really utilize thanks and advocacy and follow up and, and building relationships, it matters more than you know. And I think that's what helps bring donors back time and time again. So as you look at this, Mary, I would love to um, say welcome to you. And then let's. what are the other two areas that Donnie spoke about? Uh, hello, good morning. The other two um, areas of our four main areas is emergency financial aid and our road to recovery. Our emergency financial aid is probably our biggest program. And what it is, it's helping uh, severely disabled veterans meet a wide range of day-to-day financial needs um, with utility bills, car payments, um, some medical bills, uh, mortgage and rents. You know, some of them need uh, food, diapers, you know, baby food, things things like that. Um, It keeps our veterans from using the words foreclosure, repossession, homelessness, and unfortunately, Mm -hmm. sometimes suicide. You know, it takes um, some of our veterans to to the, the last um, kind of uh, hardship for them is financial. You know, things are already hard enough for mm-hmm. them, especially those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And when they can't make that mortgage payment, when they know that their car is being repossessed possessed and they won't be able to get from point A to point B or one of their kids is ill, I mean, that's you know, enough to put you over the edge. I mean, it happens right. to our civilians all the time, you know. So emergency financial aid is something that can come in and say, hey, you know, we can help you. Let, let's help you get back on your feet and let's, you know, back that up with some advocacy, give you some additional resources, and let's go from there. You know, everything's going to be okay. And that in itself, you know, really, really helps um, our veterans to stay afloat. Mary, I've got a follow-up question on that one. When that does happen, what is the time period from the time someone reaches out or you reach out to them to help them and the actual help? And then the second follow-on question to that is, do you also provide them with resources for financial counseling so that this can be avoided in the future? I'll start with the latter uh, question. We definitely do help him for with the with financial resources so they know how to manage their money. You know, a lot of these veterans also had traumatic brain injuries and it's very hard for them to look at numbers and manage that. Mm -hmm. So we're able to do that. And um, as far as the turnaround, it it really depends because when we get our case managers from the VA calling us and vetting for these veterans, it's really easy for us to turn around and help them and make the payment because it keeps our case manager from having to do all the legwork. So, you know, it's a little bit of twofold. If it comes from our VA, then it's, it's really easy for them to get quick. Um, help. Yeah, quick. Great. I'm so sorry we have to go on a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to a story about Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. We'll be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Dynamic Woman, Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere.
back. We're continuing the discussion with Mary Herrera of Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. And Mary, you and I met, Donnie and I met years ago at the Road to Recovery Conference. Can you talk about that and the importance of it, what goes on during it, and, and what gap it fills? Of course. Um, our Road to Recovery Conference is such a special, special event that we put together for all veterans. We're helping um, veterans who recently got out of the military to bridge the gap from becoming, from transitioning from military life to civilian life. So that's one part of the veterans we help. The other part is veterans who have been out for quite some time and just kind of need to refocus, need the motivation, need the resources to get get back to getting as normal as they can. Um, our Road to Recovery is a multi-day educational, motivational event for our troops, and they're able to bring their families with them and and their children, their wives, so they can rekindle those relationships because throughout the, the multi-day um, educational uh, resources that we have and, and breakout sessions, there's downtime for them to be able to spend quality time with their families. We also have um, enhancing personal relationships, breakout sessions. We have career assessments, a career um, fair that goes with it. Um, they talk about alternative therapies. Um, the VA is there to uh, enroll veterans with benefits who haven't been enrolled or who have questions with v- VA benefits. Um, we have family counseling. We have tremendous caregiving support since most of our veterans that attend the road to recovery have caregivers, which are usually their spouses and sometimes their parents. Well, this road to recovery conference sounds, sounds amazing. Uh, um, how long is this an annual event biannual? When, how often do you do these uh, conferences? We're doing them biannual. Um, so it's, of course, it's a lot of money. And um, like Donnie was saying, we really need the corporate support to help us out. Um, so we usually take um, anywhere from 100 veterans and their families, and it's usually anywhere between three to four days. So, so it's, it's quite some time. You know, they get a lot of information during the day. They have, you know, we tried to end the sessions um, early afternoon so they have the rest of the day to be with their families. Wow. What I love, I love about these conferences is that um, – and unless you know, I hope you experience one as well. They are so meaningful because each and every family discovers they're not alone, that they are among others who understand what they're going through, and the camaraderie and the help that one another is sharing each time is remarkable. The energy level, you know, starts with some tentative, you know, who are all these people, and I, I'm not sure I feel comfortable. Two hours later incredibly close friendships that are sustained. And Donnie mentioned something about that because that's how I met you, met many others who came to a veteran caregiver or other things like that. Talk about that part of things because I think that support in person matters. I couldn't agree more. And Linda, it's funny, my daughter, Gabrielle, Mm -hmm. is 14 years old now. Mm -hmm. Her first conference was in 2007. She still keeps in touch with kids that she met that were physically injured uh, with traumatic brain injury for the for the mom or the dad. She still keeps in touch with them now in 2017, and mm-hmm. they'll still send her messages on the date of the anniversary that I got shot, and they'll still send my daughter messages on Veterans Day, and she will send the same to them. Mm-hmm. And of course, social media makes everything so much easier now, but I mean... The families that, that think they're alone, they think they're going to this battle all by themselves. Like you said, they realize they're not alone. Mm-mm. But the neat thing about it is that when you get veterans talking and these people, when they're coming to join us for this event, they're from all over the country. Some benefits or services or recreational retreat opportunities are very regional. So these guys come and these girls come and they say, hey, in Pennsylvania, there's this opportunity that you should really check out. In Alaska, there's this one. And so these families learn about other benefits and services some of them had never heard of before, and it absolutely changes their lives. And the one thing that's really neat about this is that we only get these veteran families for such a short period of time. When we see them come in, there's a lot of fear, there's confusion, and even some of them, there's depression. And it is actually possible 
to see somebody walk taller and be two, two inches taller and to walk straighter in a four-day period because when they leave, they're more confident, they're more connected, and they take that home with them. And our hope is that they will use what they picked up during those four days as building blocks to kind of reestablish their foundation moving forward. I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen it happen in terms of the confidence growing and the kids. You bring up a very important point, and Mary, you can elaborate on this too, is children serve too. And families serve too, even if they didn't raise their arm and take the oath. And it is very important to keep everyone aware of what are their resources, their support, their help, and how to have fun again. It's okay to have fun. It, it really is important aspect of life that we don't want to miss out. Mary, can you speak to that? Absolutely. You know, it's a it's a huge therapeutic process just mm-hmm. being kind of amongst your own. I mean, that's embedded in us in the military, you know, the camaraderie. And with the children, you know, them being with other children of wounded troops is so therapeutic for them as well. I remember a couple of years ago at a road to recovery, a little boy saying saying to me that they felt so comfortable in that environment because nobody stared at their dad. Their dad was an amputee. Mm-hmm. Seeing their dad as an amputee was an everyday life for the rest of the other kids. So him being in an environment where he wasn't casted out or or being the oddball out was so therapeutic for that little boy. So, you know, it's it's so nice to see, like Donnie said, that Gabrielle can make these relationships with other kids mm-hmm. and feel that normalcy. You know, that children should feel, feel that, that, that innocence that ch- children should feel because they grew up real fast, you know, even with, <sighs> with the parents that just have post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, their attention span is short. Um, sometimes their patience is short. So, and this is something that these kids have to adapt to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they grow up fast. Well, secondary so, PTS is real. It, absolutely. It is. Same with the spouses, you know, and it's the, it's, also, the therapeutic process for them to attend these events, and like Donnie said, they, they come in with fear, but they leave knowing that they're not the only ones having these issues. They're not the only ones who can't sleep at night. They're not the only ones that are having financial problems. They're not the only ones that can't get back to normalcy. So when they see that, they see that there's others, they rely on each other. And like Donnie said as well, we only have these veterans for such a short period, but the relationships that they're establishing after the road to recovery are a lifetime of relationships. They really are. And I I think that you mentioned this already, but for caregivers to see that they're not alone, to be able to pass on guidance that they have gotten, I think that caregivers often forget just how resourceful they have become just out of survival. And there's such variation among VAs, etc., that when you hear what worked in one area, you can give it a try in another. And I have found that those who learn to fish and help others to fish really do better as they go forward. Because what helps someone more than helping someone else? Absolutely. Donnie, where do you see the coalition going in the next couple of years? So based on our workload, which has actually improved, even as some of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places went down, uh, you could look at the caseload that we have been given and the people applying to our assistance needs uh, programs, they've never gone down. So honestly, I see the coalition kind of being more established as almost American Legion-like, as being one of the staple service providers for an era of global war on terrorism veterans. And some of our programs, I mean, if, if the, the Heroes Singing Heroes program and uh, you know some of our programs to be supported, they could truly be a program that not even just based on emergency needs, but based on needs, you know, we could be around indefinitely because the need for the global war on terrorism, I truly don't think that in our lifetime, we are absolutely going to see in a conclusion to the global war on terrorism. As long as there's the internet and there's radicalization, uh, we would absolutely be better than the Legion because we're not focused on memberships. We're not focused on dues. We're not focused on any of that. We do have a membership program called Veteran Circle. Everybody that's in our Veteran Circle program qualifies for holiday gift checks. So for Thanksgiving, for Easter, and for Christmas, we'll mail out thousands of gift checks to Mm -hmm. families knowing that if they're already in need, 
they're not going to be focused on going and buying a holiday meal. There are groups that have membership-based uh, programs right. that have hundreds of thousands of members. And even when they were in their smaller, more infancy uh, stages, none of them focused on that level of commitment uh, on the level that the coalition does. So holiday gift checks are another program, Mary and I didn't mention, based on membership. But, you know, where a lot of these groups want hundreds of thousands of lobbying members, we don't want that. We want families coming to us in need in five years that know that we're still there, that they can still call at 10 p.m. They can still text over the weekend. They can still go to our Facebook page and communicate with us. We're always available. And my goal for the coalition is that in five years and 10 years, we're still providing help because I, I truly believe the global war on terrorism will be a problem that will likely be inherited by our children. And I hate to say that, but it's, it's probably true. Donnie, I'm afraid you're right. And I just want to make sure people know where to find you. And the website is saluteheroes.org. You have an active Facebook page. And as Donnie just mentioned, when you reach out, you will actually be responded to. And I love the fact that you are working collaboratively with other resources when there isn't something in specific area for someone. You help them find out where they can find some help. I hope those listening today understand the importance of knowing about groups like the coalition. And please go to their website, saluteheroes.org. And if this has touched you in some way, please consider a donation. And I think it's an important thing that we support the grassroots organizations that truly do help, that don't go lobby, that don't do studies, that go and actually help people one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you so much for sharing the coalition to salute America's heroes with us today. Mary and Donnie, anything else you'd like to add in the 20 seconds we have left? Mary. I want to really quick in the 20 seconds one great donnie spoke about the gift checks and the gift card that we used to give before one beautiful thing about our veterans is if they're doing good if we helped them out in the past and they got back on their feet and they're doing well they send those checks back isn't that they want amazing to help the next veteran in line incredible thank you both for sharing uh les thanks for being here today we'll be back next week Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.